All right. Well, good morning. Good. It's good to have you. I have to admit, there's more people here than I thought there would be. As Pat mentioned, that um, you know we got the uh, camp out, and that was amazing and exciting. And it's it's interesting with the camp out, you know, because we did it last year, and that was you know kind of in that you know, season of high uncertainty around COVID, you know. So it just felt it was beautiful, but it felt awkward. And so it just really was cool, the freedom, lots of people up there. Um, and again, you know, we baptized people and had a worship service. So it was, it was great. So it's good to see you. Good to have you online. I'm glad you are here. Uh, you know, the whole COVID thing and the uh, shutdown, you know, there's some things in there, a lot of things that I know I really missed. One thing that I was excited that opened up was the movie theaters. One thing that Sandy and I love to do is go to movies. And so uh, recently we've got to go to a, a movie, first time. Little eerie, right? I, I don't know if you've been to a movie theater, but just you're going to be all alone. I'm, I'm sure they're not making any money. Uh, it's a little weird. It's just us. But we were excited. Sat in that movie and got the popcorn and all the other stuff. I won't tell you the snacks I have. It's just not right. Um, and... Um, and we're watching the movie, and the movie goes, and I'm not going to tell you the movie, because it's, you know, it's out now, and I don't want to wreck it for you. Um, but I'll tell you this, the ending was bad. It was bad. Um, it, no closure, right? As messy as messy gets, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You know, a year since I've been at the movie, and this is the ending? So, you know, we're just like, ah, oh, all mad, heading to the parking lot and stuff. Um, but we started talking, right? And all of a sudden, in these uh, bad endings, these movies with no closure that are messy, you know, if you look deeper, a little closer, you know, all of a sudden you see the moral of the story kind of pops up. Now, what kind of movies do you like? How many of you like, like me, nice buttoned up movies? You like that? I mean, a Christian movie, I love them. I, I know exactly how they're going to end. It is all going to work out. Someone's getting saved. It's going to be perfect, right? Um, how many of you don't mind the, the messy movie? Like an angel, you like that? Not many of you. So I'm going to start this message with an apology. <laughs> okay? <laughs> right? Um, the book of Nehemiah that we've been excited about walking through in this whole series of rebuilding after brokenness and last week, boy, whoo, we had a great time celebrating uh, their work of rebuilding the wall. I told many of you, uh, I don't really want to preach this last message because the ending is messy. It's messy, just so you know, okay? So if you need to leave now, you want to sign off, love you, see ya, remember last week, okay? <laughs> but God is good. God is good. We're going to see some things. In that. So let me pray as we prepare. You turn to uh, Nehemiah. We're going to start at the end of chapter 12 and we'll be into chapter 13. Okay? You got Bibles come around if you need those. Let me pray. Father God, you're good. We love you. And uh, boy, as we look at our own lives, we understand messy endings. <laughs> but we also understand in the, in the messy ending, there's something beautiful that is born. And so I pray that you'd point that out to us as we reflect on what's happening in Jerusalem and Nehemiah, and we bring that into our own world. So I pray that you'd speak to us today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. As, as a recap, as we uh, wind down this series, we, 
we have a series called Rebuilding After Brokenness. And we went to the book of Nehemiah because it's exactly what is happening. Jerusalem, the holy city of Jerusalem, the centerpiece of all worship of God, the true God was in Jerusalem. All eyes are on Jerusalem. And it's broken. People in captivity. And Nehemiah and some of his contemporaries are called back to restore this holy city and the temple. And so we walk through Nehemiah and say, what can we learn about rebuilding after brokenness? And we see Nehemiah come back and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. You know, and as we looked, and we've talked a lot about it, we have a, a society that's uh, a certain extent is broken. We've got churches that see brokenness in them. And so we said, God, show us through this story uh, how we can walk our story out of brokenness. And so we jumped into that. We learned right away it starts within us. It starts with us with repentance. And then God wants to use all of us in the rebuilding work. And there's going to be enemies. There's going to be enemies. And we are called to go to God in prayer and leave nobody behind. Everybody is called into God's you know, a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and serving him. So it's call everybody and nobody left behind. And don't quit. Don't quit. And then last week it was awesome. We came in and we just talked about um, the finished product. They worked hard and a miracle happened. They rebuilt this mighty wall in 52 days. Absolutely incredible. And they celebrated and Pastor Pat just talked about, you know, these vital signs that we, as we watch and we, as we grow, as we rebuild the work of God. And then, boy, they got on that wall, and they praised God. And that's what we did last week, right? We just put that to words. And if you weren't here, you missed it. I don't know if it would come across the same online. I'm hoping for you guys. Um, but it was a powerful moment of just praising God together. And we just, man, we all blew this roof off this place, right? Uh, just celebrating, much like them, all that God has done. I mean, it's amazing. If you survey what has taken place since we've opened up here at North Shore, we knew we were going into a broken season. We have seen more baptisms, more salvations in the last four to five months than we've seen in years here. I mean, just yesterday, you should have been out there, just people coming forward. We didn't know they were going to come forward, being baptized. It was just great, uh, praising God just out in community. Everyone's looking over there, and, you know, we got these little North Shore flags waving, you know, and, uh, and people just lifting up praise to God out right in the, the open space there. It's beautiful. You know, we've had so many new people. I mean, I run around, and I'm bad with names, so I ask for a miracle every week. God, would you help me remember these people's names? right? And I, I repeat it over and over and over, right? There's someone here named Connie. I remember your name, Connie. Connie, Connie, Connie. I keep saying this, right? I'm going to remember you, okay? It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You look around and say, wow, look at what God is doing. And people coming back, and they're getting to a place where they feel comfortable again. Uh, and it's just this amazing work. And we just praise God for all that he is doing. He is doing his mighty work here at North Shore, and it's exciting to watch it unfold. Okay, that's the good news. And I would love with Nehemiah just say, period, see you later. I don't know if you could do that. Can you just not do a chapter in the Bible? Maybe that's a, I'll have to check that. Um, but we come and do the bad ending, right? Because what you see with them is in Nehemiah 12, 
right? Uh, and 43 is what we really ended with last week. You know, they're, just, they're praising so loud, all Jerusalem hears them. And you go into verse 44 through 47. And what you see happening there, man, they've got the temple workers. They're back at it, right? That's who the Levites are. They're the temple workers. And so the temple is functioning. It's working. It is the centerpiece of worship for God. And that happens if you track the timeline. 52 days to rebuild the wall, 12 years. So we're talking years of this temple of Jerusalem being the Jerusalem that they know, they love, eyes on that. It's going amazing. And it says in there, I think verse 46, maybe 45, it, it says that the people are rejoicing at the priest work, meaning this, they are rejoicing, celebrating God's work and all he's doing. There's great joy. And then all, duh, 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 right? <laughs> now Scott gets to preach, okay? Um, in chapter 13 comes the bad ending. They did not maintain the rebuilt work of God. You're going to see that they lost focus. They lost focus. And it starts as you look at chapter 13. You know, verses 1 through 9, you'll see that they lost focus on God's word. That first verse, you see them there, Nehemiah 13.1. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. So they're reviewing that's in, uh, uh, you know, in Numbers 22 through 24 in there. And what they're doing is, uh, much like Ezra brought back, you know, uh, their worship, the centerpiece of it is God's word. So they're reading publicly God's word. And I love this, the response that you see, uh, as far as you see the people, they hear this reading from uh, Numbers. Like, oh, yeah, we are supposed to separate from the enemies of God. Makes sense, right? You know, and so we're supposed to separate from these people that historically have fought against Israel. And the people, they obeyed. It says in verse 3, right? Okay, boom. So they did it. All the foreign descents. They separated from. <laughs> and I could go a, a lot with this, but I won't. But the priests didn't, right? The ones that are paid to do this did not. And, and they didn't. They compromised. The high priest, you know, that is the big dog of priest, right? Elisha, what he did is he moved in. I mean, sometimes it's hard to, like, what? Um, he moved in his relative, who happened to be Tobiah, remember? Early in in Nehemiah, was the enemy of Nehemiah, trying to stop the work, wanted to do him harm. <laughs> it's, just, I mean, it's comical. So he goes into the storehouse, which were kind of rooms around the temple, where they brought all the offering, all the vessels and instruments for worship. He moves those out and moves, makes it an apartment for Tobiah the enemy of Israel. So we see what the word of God is. The person who should know better compromises. Well, it's just that my relative, I'll slide him in here. No big deal. We just kind of move the, you know, things should be going good. The last 10 years isn't going okay. So we, we can move uh, the enemy in right here into the temple, not even just into Jerusalem, but into the temple. And so it'll give a little clarity of what happens. The response here, okay, is Nehemiah's response. 
in verse 8. So Nehemiah had left, because if you remember in chapter 2, Nehemiah tells the Persian king, hey, I'm going to go there for a while if you'll let me. And, they, and the king says, well, how long will you be gone? You know, and they somehow they, I don't know what they figured this must be it, okay? Must have been 12 years. Because um, he goes back to Persia, as he said he would. So then he asked for it to come back to check on Jerusalem. So he comes back. How long he was gone, we don't really know. I believe it's somewhere in the category of three to about seven or eight years. You know, come talk to me later. I can tell you why I think that, okay? Um, we don't know. But Nehemiah goes, well, he comes back. <laughs> and uh, he sees this, this compromise. Are you kidding me? And in verse 8, it says this. When he saw it, he became very angry. And he starts throwing out Tobias stuff, all his home furnishing, um, launching it, right? Just, it's gone. We're going to clean this baby out. And we see this response we see in verse uh, 21. Nehemiah is talking to some people that are compromising God's word. We'll get into it a little more later. And he says, hey, better stop this. Or I'm going to come down and I'm going to lay hands on you. Okay, there's, in the Bible, there's two laying of a hands. One's the one we like. Lay hands on pray. This is that kind of lay hands. This is, yeah, you know, I'm going to come give you a knuckle sandwich. Right? It's like, what? This is in the Bible? Yeah, well, verse 25, it gets a little more intense, right? He says to them that are compromising, I'm going to curse you. Well, he says he actually did this. He cursed them. He beat them. And he pulled their hair out. <laughs> I was like, whoa. This is an intense response, isn't it? I just want to take you. It's, it's similar to the response we see in Jesus. The last week of his life, right? You know, the triumphal entry. He's going into Jerusalem that last week. And when he gets there, he looks over Jerusalem and this is in Luke 19, and he weeps. Right? He wept over Jerusalem. They don't even get who has visited him. They have missed what God has said. They have lost focus in the word of God. And then he enters in. The first place he goes is the temple. And we see this Jesus that we don't talk about very much, right? Much like the Nehemiah, because I, I don't think it's common. He turns tables over and chases them out. Very intense. Why such an uncommon, intense response by Nehemiah, by Jesus? It's because they lost focus on the Word of God. They compromised the Word of God. See, the Word of God is our blueprint. I think one of the best scriptures that really kind of gives a purpose of the Word of God is in 2 Timothy 3. Uh, verses 15 through 17. From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what we see is the Word of God is our blueprint. It's how we know God. It's how we know what God wants us to do. What is He up to and the role that we play in that? Would you build a house with no blueprint? 
Husband, would you build and put together a piece of furniture with no instructions? I see yeses, right? <laughs> How'd that turn out for you? What are all these extra parts, right? <laughs> and, and no one wants to sit on it. No, you would never build a house and do a work without the blueprint. Why would you ever do God's work, do life without the blueprint? That's the word of God. Okay? And there is a great danger in compromising, even a little bit. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve. They're at the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, do not eat from this or you'll surely die. Remember this? Serpents there. And ask a question in God's word. Did he really say this? Didn't he say this, that you'll surely be kind of like God? Isn't that what he said? Just, just a little, little tweak, a little twist. And all of a sudden, they saw the fruit. And it looked good. Right? And here we are. The work of God crushed, destroyed. Death entered into this world. The pain, the death, the sorrow, the sadness, the brokenness that we experience in our lives, right, can be traced back to compromising the word of God. That's why there's such an intense response. It is a big, big deal. And we are called, Joshua 1.8, I love it. We are called to not compromise, to do everything that the word of God tells us to do. Because it is the work of God in us and through us. And we have to take it seriously and not compromise. So we must trust the blueprint that we've been given. The word of God. Because that is the plan of God for us. So let's keep going on in Nehemiah chapter 13. Well, where else did they lose focus? We see that they lost focus on God's provision. Verses 10 through 14 there. Let me read verse 10 to you. As, we, as Nehemiah really keeps kind of seeing what's all going on here. I also found out that the portions of the Levites, remember these are the uh, temple workers, had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So they have neglected the tithe. You know, you'll see in, I think, verses 10 and 12 that, that all of the people have neglected giving the tithe. And then the priest who is in charge of giving the, the tithe to the different people, to the Levites, right, the, the temple workers, was not given them their portion. And so what happened was, you see the temple workers had to go back into the fields and begin working again. So if they're working in the fields, what are they not doing? Tending to the temple and guiding the worship of God. You see the temple is breaking down again because they lost focus. God's provision by not tithing. See, in the Old Testament for the tithe, you know, the tithe uh, was a, a commandment, right, that they must do. And there were, uh, a tithe means 10%, right? Uh, and 
they had different sets of 10% that they gave. They had the sacred tithe, the first tithe, it's called different things. The general tithe is a 10%. And that was given to uh, the storehouse to, for the church, for the temple work, right? So they'd give 10% of their first to that. And then there was a second 10% they gave. So now we're at 20%. And that was called the festival tithe. And that um, was a tithe because they were called to go up to Jerusalem throughout the year for different festivals, you know, part of their worship. And so this is money that they would take and they would set aside to go be part of the work of God. Okay, it was commanded. So the festival tithe, they, now 20%. And then every third year, they would collect uh, another 10% called the poor tax. And that would be in their city. And they'd all collect 10% so that they could give it to the poor, the widows, the orphans, and those. Uh, so that was, what, 23 and a third percent, right, annually, is what they were commanded to give. They also did a first fruits offering. They also had offerings that they gave for their worship. Uh, the Israelites were commanded to tithe. Uh, they were commanded to be givers. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, one of the, there's many fascinating things. We're going through Jerusalem today. There's all these boxes on the power poles all throughout the city. And I said, what are those? Well, those are their offerings. So they just go, I mean, all over the city. You know, kind of like America has trash cans everywhere. They got tithing and offering. So just for the poor, for the people. And they just dump them in. They are a nation of giving. That's what God calls us to be. For us, as New Testament people, you know, I think the clearest teaching is in 2 Corinthians uh, chapters uh, 8 and 9. Uh, you can read that sometime. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, and I want to read that to you as we see giving in the New Testament. And really kind of, it points to our calling. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. This is Paul talking to them and doing the work. So what we see for us is this, is that we are called, first of all, to come. It's a heart thing, to come freely, generously, and joyfully. So in that, um, and, and there's an, an argument, is, is a tithe for today, is it not? Um, here's for sure, right? for sure. We can talk about that and what I believe to be true about that. Right now, we know we are called to be givers. There's been a powerful, amazing standard set all through Scripture. And 1 Corinthians 16, 2, we see the people coming in freely, generously, and joyfully giving, being part of the work of God, because it's the provision of God. It's how he funds, right? It's how he, you know, it pays for resources. His work is through us, and it's to be something that's consistent, right? Intentional. Put aside. Not just, oh, I got a little extra cash left. You know, here's a dollar. No, that's not what we're called to be as believers. It is to be proportionate to your income, and that it is to be for the work of God, right? This is our place. You know, we don't, uh, we had storehouses because they had to keep the things cold. There was a lot of produce and stuff they were giving. You know, you know, well, 
we don't have storehouses anymore. I guess we have bank accounts and stuff. And I love, if you look through Nehemiah in this whole section, you'll see that they had uh, people of great character tend to the tithe and provision for accountability because God takes it very seriously how we are to give, but also how uh, our church is to tend to the money. Uh, and I tell you, North Shore has an amazing, amazing group of people of higher integrity for the money. Many, many checks and balances because this is God's money. We take it seriously, and we are called to be good stewards, and we will be, right? And so we are called into this, and what happens in this is God uses that uh, to resource his work. And so we can't lose sight that we are the people called together to resource God's work. And I love this. And it's good for me, and I've had to grow and mature over my Christian life on this because God always got the leftovers if there's any. And anytime I waited for that, guess what? There was not any of leftovers versus the freedom that God gave me. Right, financially, and understand that tithing is actually something to free us, to restore us, uh, to be part of what God is doing. And so in that, of coming to say, it's on me. Before God, thank you for putting me into a body, and it's on me to resource through the provisions you've blessed me with, acknowledging you so that I can be free, not be tied up in the bondage of money, Right? Because what happens is when we love money, it grips us. We actually become uh, a slave to it, Scripture says. And we can't serve two masters. So all of a sudden, we're not free to be part of the work of God. You know, I mean, financially, but also stepping into it and being part of the work. So it's intended to free us. And I learned that over time. And you're going to see in these guys, they totally lost sight of that. So we cannot lose sight, lose sight of the blessings of giving the call to giving and being part of God's work. It's a beautiful, freeing reminder, you know. And again, it's so hard to talk about money because all of us, and you know, are, it's such an attachment to us, you know. And so, you, you know, you check in the word. I don't want to be this guy up here pounding, give, give, give to the church because it seems, you know, yeah, yeah, of course you're saying that, right? You get paid by the church. <laughs> Go to God's word, okay? See what he says. It's important. So, Moving on. So they lost focus on the provision of God and really tied to that they lost focus on God's Sabbath. Listen to verse 15. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food on the Sabbath. So what happens, they just lost trust in God for his provision, uh, and they begin to work and do their commerce on the Sabbath. You know, this holy day that God has called them into, they've lost focus, and they started working, making money all through Judea, the whole region, not just in Jerusalem. They're coming and selling their goods. That's what Nehemiah saw, saw, and he said, well, you are losing focus on God's Sabbath, his, his calling, because of this, um, they lost focus on, first of all, the law that they were called, Exodus 20, right? Ten Commandments, Fourth Commandment. There is to be a day of the Sabbath that's to be holy, set apart. You are to rest. So God says, this is a gift to you, to rest on this day. 
But it also says in Leviticus 23.3, you'll see on this day is to bring, uh, it's to be a sacred assembly. So what he has for them is on this Sabbath day is he wants them to focus and remember all that he is, that he is powerful. It's a sign to them of who God is and an opportunity for them to remember him. It's to give them physical rest and also to give them spiritual refueling right, as they come together. Uh, same is true as that we do not live under the law anymore. But we're still called to the heart of Sabbath. And the heart of Sabbath for us is to come before God and worship him. Lift him up. Acknowledge who he is, that he is powerful. And it's faith that we don't have to do it. We don't have to run around like chickens with our heads cut off doing the work of God because God has got this. He is powerful. He sets the pace and the opportunities. And we just by faith say, yes, God, it's you. And Sabbath helps us in all of our life, too. God, you have got us. You provide for us. And we can rest. But also in that rest, we get to refuel ourselves, right? We get to come together and let God speak into us. You know, for the Old Testament, you saw them at the synagogues. They would do that, right? Uh, and for us, we come together, uh, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, not because of the law, the binding, but we come together on the first day of the week, Sunday, to celebrate this new creation, all that Jesus is doing, his resurrection. God tells us, do not forsake coming together, right? Because we get to spur each other on to faith and good deeds, the work of God. So we get to be fueled up when we come together, and we get to fuel others up. And you experience this, right? You come to church, how often is it like, wow, they're here. I didn't feel like getting up this morning. I wanted to stay home, mow the lawn, do something else. But I came here and uh, look at, you know, whomever, Bob and Sue, is that the most average names? I have no idea. There they are. There they are. Wow, that's encouraging. Boy, did you hear that worship? Did you, did you hear that message? God spoke to our assembly. We just grew together. It's important that we come together. It fuels you up and it fuels other people up because we cannot lose focus on the faith that a Sabbath and the Sabbath rhythm of life displays because God has got this and he wants to restore and refuel you. Guess what? So you can be part of the work. So Sabbath is still essential. So we go and we keep going through Nehemiah and what we're going to see is they lost focus on the mission. They lost focus on the mission. Listen to verse 23 and 24, Nehemiah talking here. In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. So what has happened here is um, they you know, started intermarrying people from all around, okay, and not Jewish people. You know, they begin to drift away. So as you look at this text, this isn't a, a, a racial thing. We've got to remember what God is doing in this season. He is creating his people, calling them together, the Israelites, the chosen people, to be a model to all the world. 
And we know, and there's some hints in the Old Testament, we definitely see it throughout the New Testament, is the Gentiles, the non-Jews, will be called in. So this is not a racial thing at all. What it is, is it's a season of time that God is bringing these people together to be a model to the whole world. And we know they've been there for about a decade, and uh, they're kind of drifting. Start kind of marrying whoever they want, and yeah, if they have different faiths, you know, no, no big deal. And they come together. And Nehemiah gives an example. Say, look back to your own history of Solomon, the great wise Solomon. You know, he built this temple, this amazing temple that they had to rebuild, right? That's what they were doing there. Uh, He's the wisest man in the earth. But he started catching eyes for people all around different women of different faiths. And his heart was drawn away from God. And it destroyed everything. The nation of Israel was divided. And they are there because of that drift. He says, here's an example right before you. The high priest, Elisha, his own grandson has married one of the enemies that was mentioned throughout the book of Nehemiah. He's married to her, the people that tried to kill me, kill us, just a decade ago. And here you are. See, the slow drift, it becomes generational. And that's, as we look at drifting, becomes the problem. It's slow. Isaiah 53 talks about this, right? We, like sheep, have gone our own way. We just kind of drift. Hebrews 2.1 says, if we don't listen to the word of God and what God has to say, we will drift. And we do that. You've all seen it. I've seen it in, in, in my lifetime. I've watched people. I've watched people all sin for their liberties. They want what they want. And all of a sudden, God's voice starts getting more quiet, more quiet, more quiet. Their reasoning of against God starts growing so that they can get permissions to do whatever they want because guess what? This is what I believe now. It's exactly what you saw in the Garden of Eden happening. I want to do that? Well, I'll just change what I believe, what I think God had to say. In my own spiritual journey, I've watched the first church I came, I worked in, was this really legalistic church. You know, I was in there serving, you know, because I was just kind of doing what I was told, how to look at the scriptures. And man, we spent most of our time talking about how bad other Christians were, just so you know. So legalistic. Um, that eventually I sat there and said, man, we don't ever really talk about the mission anymore. We're on a, a, a war for other believers and these precepts in the scriptures, like, you better be doing this, you better behave this way, and if you're not, somehow, you're bad, and you're the enemy. Not Satan anymore, not sin, nope. These other believers who don't look at the word the way we do, right? So legalism starts sneaking in on me, and I saw that. In fact, that's why I actually left my first church and said, no, we're, we're not talking about the mission anymore. But I've seen it in the other side. Compassion. So then my next job, it was the opposite of that, man. We loved everybody. And man, my heart started growing in compassion and love for everybody. And all of a sudden I said, whoa, there's no boundary here except how I feel, not what God has to say. And all of a sudden, you know, the only answer could be get rid of God's word and let tolerance be the word for the day. I said, no, no. And God, you know, God says, God, I've spoken, trust me. And there's an amazing story um, of Billy Graham coming to this place. It's called, look at Billy Graham and the Stump. Uh, I read it in his book, Just As I Am. And in there, 
Uh, Billy Graham talks about uh, one of his closest advisors started drifting away and said, I don't know if I trust God anymore. I don't know if I trust the word anymore. And Billy Graham, is, um, he, he's in a tough spot because he just did one of his uh, revivals and it flopped. And he had this revival you know, planned down in L.A. He's like, ugh, you know, this one just flopped. His uh, contemporaries and his partners are starting to not really trust God anymore and in his mission. They're losing the language of the mission. And so he's up in Forest Home, uh, the mountains in Southern California before the revival. He's up there and he goes outside and he actually has his Bible, it says. And he's just praying, God, what do I believe to be true about this? What you say and what they say. And he actually says he puts his Bible on a stump, God on his knees, and God spoke to him. He says, trust me, trust me. And he says he prayed and God just spoke to him. And he says, you know, trust my authority, trust this word of God. I am enough. This is enough. This is truly the answer. And he said he got off his knees. He said he's just tears flowing down his face. But he said he felt a presence of the Holy Spirit like he'd never felt before. And a freedom because he's going to trust God's word. And then he went down to Los Angeles. If you're old enough, you're going to remember this. Uh, he started this little revival down there that ended up going for months. Uh, it really changed the entire world. There is not a greater evangelist in all the world's history than Billy Graham. And it started there on a stump where he said, God, I'm going to do what you say. I'm not going to lose the language of the mission. That's the word of God. And so we can't get knocked off mission. Whether it's flesh, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to kind of change the rules to, to fit what I feel we can't get to a place where we're so legalistic that there's no room for anybody other than me and how I interpret things. And we can't get to a place where our compassion is so big that we lose God's truth and the true freedom that that brings versus the, me feeling good about myself because I love them well, quote, unquote. We've got to trust God. And that's where this thing got messy for them. It got messy for them. And this is the bad ending. So, okay, there you go. Talk to you later, right? Um, the book of Nehemiah. But if you look closer, there's something happening that's, that's not here. It's in the book of Malachi, okay? The book of Malachi. Malachi was a prophet of God, the last book in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was the last book written in the Old Testament. In a sense, if you turn the canon, if you would, your Bible may have stuff in it, uh, you go to the Gospels. Right? So Malachi was a prophet during this time that Nehemiah was away in Persia speaking to the people. So we get the answers. If we look deeper, like, okay, what is the answer? How do we rebuild after brokenness? Keep from drifting. How to maintain what God is doing. And what Malachi tells us, Malachi 2 verses uh, 1 and 2, he says, you know, it's the heart. Right? You, you, you people, you, you priest, he's, he's kind of at the you know, priest. It, it's the heart is where this thing's at. Starts with the heart. Then it goes to this. Is I'm going to promise you something. In all of this mess, not even just this moment, but all of history, there is this mess, but there's something far greater coming. I'm going to send somebody pr to prepare the way. We know that person is John the Baptist. Prepare the way for the Lord, for Jesus Christ. He is going to come, and he is going to, like son of righteousness, you know, shed on you, and these rays are going to come and bring you healing and a new day. 
It is all about Jesus. You know, as the worship team comes out and, and they prepare, what the answer is, how do you rebuild after brokenness? Okay, this is the most important message now. It's about having your heart set, your eyes set on Jesus. That's how you maintain. You don't get pulled off this way, that way. You trust the living word of God to speak to you, to renew you, to redeem you, and to renew other people. I love what Hebrews 12, 2 says. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Lock into him. So it's not just a gaze, but we have to fix our eyes on Jesus because what he will do, he will do his work if we don't lose focus. And so church, I'm telling you right now, it is about Jesus. It has always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And it's about this privilege we have to come into him, fix our eyes on him, and have him do an amazing work in our lives, through our lives, and through our whole nation, our whole world. Because when Jesus shows up, things change. The world changes. So last week, we had this beautiful, powerful, just on the wall, screaming out, putting the words of praise and blessing him. It was awesome. With that same heart, we're going to come to this morning humbly. Because we're much like them. I told you, I know what this is like. That kind of, my story could be written the same way. We want to come humbly, but powerfully to say, yeah, we know how to rebuild after brokenness. It's been the same answer all along. After Genesis 3, right, the answer is Jesus. The answer for Nehemiah, what Malachi says, the answer is Jesus. The answer for you is Jesus. So we're going to come and say, God, call us into faith. Enlarge our faith. Allow us to trust you. Fix our eyes on you, Jesus. And in that, Norshire, I can promise you, not on my own authority, but on the authority of the Word of God, it'll change your life. It'll change our community. It'll change our world. We will fix our eyes on Jesus. So will you stand with me? And let's just proclaim that today. Our eyes are on you, Jesus. I love you, North Shore.